0: In the beginning, SEO was kind of a tech geeky thing where you would have a person in a poorly lit room, uh, <laughs> locked in the room, by the way, and you would occasionally <laughs> shove food through a little thing underneath the, and keep the
1: bed <laughs> with no windows.
0: I'm Richard Lindner, co founder and president of Digital Marketer, and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on productiveinsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast, where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now,
1: here's your host, Ash Roy. Hello there. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com with a quick message for you. If you'd like to grow your business profitably and fast, head over to getmetodone.com where you can learn more about the Productive Insights Membership Program, which is designed to help you grow your business profitably and fast. We help you get clear on your target audience and create an irresistible offer around the specific problem that you solve for your audience. Once we've established an offer that's a good fit for your audience, We then help you to scale your business using marketing automation, which means you spend less time working and more time enjoying the fruits of your labor. If you'd like to learn more, head over to getmetodone.com right now and take that first step towards your business success and your time freedom. I hope you enjoy this episode and get a ton of value from it. I look forward to seeing you at getmetodone.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Productive Insights podcast. In this episode, we talk about mobile geddon, which is the term affectionately used for Google's algorithm released in April 2015 as it relates to mobile devices. I do apologize for the bad sound quality in parts because we had a poor internet connection, unfortunately, but there is some fantastic information in here. So I hope you get a lot out of this. And if you're looking for help with applying any of the principles you've heard, in these podcast episodes, then head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash hire. That's dot com forward slash H-I-R-E and book a consulting appointment with me and I'll be glad to help you out. Welcome everyone. Today's guest is an expert in SEO and content marketing. He's a CEO of Stone Temple Consulting and has worked in the industry for more than 30 years. He's been an entrepreneur for most of his career. The Stone Temple interview series is highly acclaimed for its interviews with top search engine employees such as Google's Matt Cutts and other industry luminaries. He's also a co-author of the book The Art of SEO, which he wrote with Rand Fishkin, whom I interviewed in an earlier episode on this podcast. He's well known for writing in many places such as Forbes, Copyblogger and Search Engine Land and as a result was named the 24th most influential person on the topic of content marketing. I'm delighted to welcome Eric Enger. Welcome, Eric.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Ash. I appreciate the opportunity. And hello, everybody. Looking forward to it.
1: Great to have you, Eric. It's it's an absolute honor. So, Eric, let's start by discussing um, your view on SEO and how it's evolved, particularly in light of how it's changed from you know, backlinks all the way through towards where Google's become very biased towards good quality content, shareable content, and it culminated in the mobile get-in update, which it's affectionately known as, in the update in April 2015, where if you're not mobile-friendly, you could be affected in Google rankings on mobile devices. So as an expert, I'd just love to get your overview on how SEO has evolved in fairly simple terms for the audience.
0: No, absolutely. Well, in the beginning, SEO was kind of a tech geeky thing where you would have a person uh, in a poorly lit room, uh, <laughs> locked in the room, by the way, and you would occasionally <laughs> shove food through a little thing underneath the of <laughs> bed. And With they would do just things that you don't want to know anything about, and magic would happen, and your rankings would rise. But let me translate that for everybody. Frankly, uh, 10 years ago, SEO was this game that there was kind of a way to cheat,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just to put it in very simple terms. And the people who knew how to cheat would prosper greatly, uh, and those who didn't know how to cheat were kind of left out of the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that's the way SEO was 10 years ago. Thankfully, it has evolved and matured into something which is now uh, really needs to be a part of your core marketing efforts. Mm -hmm. And you really need to think about SEO as a way of understanding what search engines need and then applying your knowledge about what your users need while still being smart enough about how to present that to search engines. And that sounds like it has a lot of subtleties to it, and it does. Mm things that are really important to search engines today, you need to have really good content on your site. You need to offer your users a really good user experience, regardless of what device they're coming to your uh, site from. So if they're coming from one of these jobbers Mm -hmm. right here, you need to offer them a a good experience just as much as if they come from a desktop computer. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'm not plugging my phone back in there. And some of the old things still matter. They still care about links to your website because they act like votes. These are links, by the way, people, in case you don't know what they are. (laughs) Links to your website. And those links matter a lot, but that's because they act like third-party endorsements for your content, and they need to be endorsements from people who matter. So if you're in the used car business getting links from left-handed golf club websites...
1: <laughs> those, those
0: don't matter a lot, right?
1: Yeah,
0: uh, getting getting links from you know other you know car driver magazine that matters a lot because it's relevant. It's a vote that counts, basically. Right. So that's that's a quick overview of how things have changed.
1: You've explained it very beautifully. Eric. Some fantastic analogies. So thank you for that. That makes perfect sense. So let's talk a bit more now about mobile get and that April 2015 algorithm update. I'm very interested in this because some projections state that we're going to have an explosion in mobile devices in the coming few years. We've got about 2 billion people on the web at the moment. We're looking at getting 4 billion, and a lot of that increased 2 billion people are going to be from mobile devices. Another very interesting point that Rand made in my earlier interview with him was a lot of interest that is coming in from mobile is not coming at the expense of desktop people are consuming mobiles at times when they aren't using their desktops for example when going to bed and so on and so forth so we're going to actually see an an increase in the amount of web traffic and time on the web which just you know underscores the importance of understanding the the mobile geddon update and why we all need to be sure that our sites are mobile responsive
0: yeah, there's a lot of reasons for it. And I think one of the things that it's important that people know is that, you know, there's a lot of people who have bought a laptop or desktop type computers, they have those, they may even have a tablet type device, but those things are relatively expensive compared to a smartphone. Right. And a smartphone, by the way, is not that expensive than your, you know, old fashioned landline, Right. So what's happening is that there are people who are, are well, engaging with the Internet for the first time through a phone. First of all, internationally, it's really clear in a lower income type countries, the predominant method, in fact, the overwhelming method of engaging with the Internet is through a smartphone device because of bu- buying a laptop or bigger computer is not an option. Yes, places like japan they don't have enough desk space
1: and that's where the largest growth is going to come from right eric the that two to four billion incremental increase
0: a a huge percentage is going to come from that but even here in the united states all right you're going to have people that are and i know you're not in the united states but (laughs) i am so even here where i am there are a lot more people who are engaging with uh mobile devices and adding extra levels of engagement through mobile devices, even though they have a desktop device. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a huge amount of opportunity, no matter where you are on the planet, for mobile. And the thing that I want people to think about with mobile is it's a completely different experience, right? You have a device about that size, right? It has no keyboard, at least of the same kind that I have here on my laptop computer, The screen size is much smaller. Uh, A good percentage of the time, they're on the go. They're out and about somewhere. And so what Google has learned is that that's a very different experience. And the very basic aspects of being able to have a website which can deal with that smaller screen size without having to do major scrolling, that has something that my fingers can click the links. We call that being tappable. Mm -hmm. Um, but the performance doesn't take so long to load because that phone doesn't load as fast as your desktop computer, right? It doesn't load web pages as fast. All those are big deals. And Google understands that the people care about that, which is why they started to make mobile a ranking factor.
1: And Google cares about the search experience more than anything, doesn't it?
0: It does. And people go, well, why do they care? That sounds so altruistic. Well, that's BS. It's not altruistic. It's actually very selfish. They've actually proven through studies that a better user experience results in more searches by those users and more clicks on ads.
1: Which means they won't lose searches to Bing and Yahoo and all the other search engines.
0: Or just simply giving up on search because it's going to Facebook or, or asking a friend or whatever their other options are. You know, I mean, think of search as a way of getting an answer to a question. Mm -hmm. And if you're there and you've tried five searches and you haven't found your answer, or you went to a page you think has the answer, and after eight seconds you give up, you're going to call a friend. Absolutely. Right? And you're going to look at these options. So it's a really very normal uh, use case for people to consider things like that. So what's happened is Google has decided that that's important enough that when you're on your smartphone device, they're going to alter the rankings, maybe not in a major way, but at least a, a fairly a material way. They're going to emphasize sites that are mobile-friendly more than ones that aren't. Now, that ranking adjustment only impacts people accessing mobile from a smartphone device, not even a, a tablet. Right. Important for to understand. Now, there's two studies that I want to mention to you that talk about the scope of mobile-geddon, uh, as it was called. Mm-hmm. So uh, Adobe did one which showed that the rankings for non-mobile or the traffic, I should say, from smartphone devices to sites that were not mobile friendly dropped by 10%. Wow. Okay. That's not insignificant, especially when you consider the average sites today, even here in the U.S., uh, are getting about 50% of their traffic uh, from smartphone devices. Obviously, it's going to be greater in Australia and other places around the world. But then the other one was the study that we did at Stone Temple Consulting, um, which showed that something like 49% of the non mobile friendly URLs dropped in the ranking from April 17th, which is just before the update, and May 18th. 49%, right? Uh, and only 16% increased in ranking. So, a pretty big disparity.
1: Yeah. And you know what? If you're ranking number three, say, before the mobile get an update and you drop to number five or six, you're off page one. Basically, you've lost all your search effectively, haven't you?
0: Yeah. Well, you're below the page, uh, below the fold on page one. And yeah. yeah, you've taken a big beating. I mean, even if you drop one position, it can be as much as it drop traffic by 50% or maybe 30, 40%, but it's still big. Oh, yeah very significant and something that people should be really concerned about. So, But but I want to actually go a little further because I think we can go a little further with this, which is my opinion, and I don't have any third-party confirmation of this opinion, but we have to realize that the mobile device is more than an opportunity to shrink down your website and make it show up is the exact same website show up on your mobile device. That's the way we're treating it today because that's a big step forward from where we are, like trying to render a desktop page on a mobile device. Crappy experience. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're taking the exact same desktop page and we're reformatting it to show it on a mobile device. Well, great, but the use cases are different, okay? I'm in my car,
1: Mm.
0: all right? I type in, you know, pizza, right? I want the address and the phone number. Yes. Well not the rest of it. Absolutely. Oh the closest one is. Right? And the use case is very different. So to send me to the home page of a website, right? And get, you know, descriptions of how they lovingly make pizzas in brick ovens <laughs> that have been aged for thirty five years, um, doesn't do anything
1: for me. You're in a different environment. You just want to get the information you can act on. You're not interested in learning about the history of the pizza.
0: Yep, that's right. Uh, And I think we're going to find that over the longer run that people are going to want to have a very different structure to their experience, not just simply shrinking down that desktop structure to a mobile device. They're going to want to have a unique mobile structure, which is why mobile apps are so powerful. Because they are potentially freed from the baggage of being a copy of the desktop site, although with Google now, you know, indexing mobile app pages, it's almost like, well, now they kind of almost sort of want you to have one for all your desktop pages. But I think, you know, five years from now, we're going to be looking at completely unique experiences on mobile devices, right? They're Divorced from the desktop experience, and makes sense. And one thing we're going to see it's going to be like voice command. Yes. You're not going to be thumbing things or you know tapping things. You're going to be telling the site what you want to have it do.
1: Well, I don't use typing pretty much on my Mac or my iPhone anymore. I tend to use Siri, which works quite well for me. I think it's just mm-hmm. a couple of little tricks you need to learn to speak a bit more clearly and so on. But I've got articles on on my website about how to use Siri. But I totally agree with you. I think Google is trying to do the voice recognition thing as well, the voice-activated search, and I compl- that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, why would you be poking at your mobile screen when you can just talk to it?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Although there's some funny little things. It's like I have this uh, sort of game I play, which is I use Siri to initiate phone calls, and I'll say someone's name, and I'll pronounce it correctly. Yes. And then Siri often recognizes it, but pronounces it differently back to me. Yes. So then the next time, I'll try to pronounce it the way Siri did. And then, funny thing is, some of the time it gets confused when I pronounce it exactly the way it did. I can't find it. I have to go back to pronouncing it the way I know it's supposed to pronounce. And then Siri kindly mispronounces it back to me.
1: It's not as intuitive as it needs to be, and a lot of people are frustrated with it. But if you can get past that initial frustration, it can be a very big ally.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's great stuff. And I... I, I use both Siri and the, the Google app uh, voice search. Uh, it uh, depends on the application, but I find each one has its strength.
1: And the faster your processor on your phone, the better and more responsive it is. Siri's come a long way. I, I haven't used the Google version yet, but I think the processor speed also helps. Your internet connection speed helps. There's a whole lot of factors that come into its ability to understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, well, the Google app is far better for searches.
1: Oh, cool. Okay.
0: Siri is better at, you know, dialing phone and stuff like that in my experience.
1: Cool. I'll check it out. I haven't tried it, but I will. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've talked a bit about or a lot about, why it's so important to have a site that's mobile-friendly. I read through your study, your discussion on mobile get an update which you alluded to earlier, and you said how nearly 50% of mobile URLs dropped in rank after the mobile get-and-update. If a URL was in position 4, post-update, it ended up being in position 54 in one case. So that's a massive drop in rankings, and that, as you said, will represent pretty much wiping out your online-based leads, if you were relying on them previously, and a lot of uh, businesses do. Another thing you mentioned in that same study or, or blog post was how you believe the impact of the algorithm hasn't been fully experienced yet. We're going to see more dramatic effects of it as time goes on. Could you talk to us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So just to clarify, at the time I wrote the post, I expected some more modifications I do think the impact of the original Mobile get and release at this point, mm-hmm. time of this interview, is complete. But I completely expect that they're going to do more now with it.
1: Absolutely, it's
0: very classic Google. What they do is yeah. they release
1: something, they see the results, and they refine it.
0: Right. Let's say they think they can turn the dial up to ten, and they feel good about it. They actually only try it at five. That's and it. they test it, make sure it works. And then once they see that it worked and they have, you know, some number of months of data and they turn it up a little more. We saw this big time with the Panda algorithm, Mm -hmm. right, which first came out in February of 2012 uh, is when it came out. And it it, first of all had a massive impact. The whole industry went, wow. And then they didn't realize that over the next, you know, three years, they kept turning that dial up. Yeah, I think only once they had one where they said, we're actually turning the dial back a little bit, but every other update has been you know getting more refinements and increasing the impact. Because what happens is they collect the data, they find out what parts of it they feel really good about, they amplify those, because, yes, this is getting us really good results. I mean, what that might be is they see, uh, I don't know, 80% of the things that they downgraded it was really good to downgrade. And 20%, it wasn't good to downgrade. So then they refine the algorithm to fix as much of the 20% as they can, and then they turn it up. Right. Right. And one other thing they do is they also make sure that they're not kicking out any essential sites. Like if they suddenly, through Amazon or Walmart or eBay or, you know, some you know, Stanford.edu out of the index, but lower their rankings, it's, oh, that's a bad result. They can't ever accept anything like that. Right. As long as we're not dealing with that, then they just work these percentages and make sure they're always moving in the right direction.
1: Okay, so I I wasn't aware of that. They look at certain websites as almost flags or or indicators of whether the update is working well or not, and then they tweak the algorithm update based on that.
0: Well, they have to because uh, if they were to like greatly degrade Amazon, there would be a lot of users that would be upset.
1: Absolutely. and that's social right. proof as well, right? That sort of indicates that right. the people lose faith in Google if the some of the sites that users believe should be ranked at the top are not ranking at the top. No,
0: absolutely.
1: And Panda, just remind me, Panda, was that the on-site algorithm? That's right. Yeah. So just for the listeners, on-site relates to things that you do on your actual website to improve its search engine optimization compatibility as compared to off-site, which I believe was the Penguin update, which related to things like backlinks and stuff. Is that right?
0: Yep, that's correct. So uh, when you think about on-page SEO and Google's Panda algorithm, what we're really talking about is a measurement by Google of the quality of the content on your pages. So let's say you had 1,000 pages on your site and each one had a single sentence on it, right? right? That would be something that Google would probably think of as a very poor quality page, very little information on it. Right. That could potentially trigger the Panda algorithm. But the Panda definitely is all about the quality of the pages of your site. Something as a business owner you need to be very concerned about. And another way to think about it, an important rule that I want to give the listeners or the viewers, is if you have someone arrive at a page, what are the chances that they're going to have a good experience with that page now using my example if they have only if you only have one sentence on it and then you know a, a buy now or die button
1: <laughs> i sometimes call
0: them buy now or leave buttons
1: i like the first one better
0: yeah well, there you go it, it's not a good experience right
1: yeah
0: uh, i'm going to illustrate a little bit with an example let's say you have a page about oil filters mm-hmm. right Somebody's going to buy an oil filter and they're going to change their own oil in their car. Well, what do people who are interested in oil filters want to know? Well, okay, they want to know which one to buy and what's the match for their car. Maybe they need to get the manual. Maybe they need the oil. Maybe they need an oil filter wrench. These are all things they might need, right? So those are the basics. But then let's take it a little further beyond those four. Let's talk about some other things. If I'm into tinkering with my car, what else might I do? I might tinker with my air filter or you know there's other things I might do. Mm-hmm. So if I have a page about oil filters, then I need to address those other things because people coming to my web page from Google on a search phrase like oil filter have other needs. Absolutely not like the only thing they plan to do all day today is buy an oil filter and they're done.
1: And you know that they own a car, so you could have stuff about windshields or windscreen wipers. Windshield
0: wipers. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Windshield wipers, we call them. here. I guess you call them windscreen wipers. Uh, Uh, So I guess something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're translating between Australian and US right. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. So the idea is, and this is the model I keep talking about, is... So I have a hundred users come to my page. These are no longer links, these are users.
1: Okay.
0: Come to my web page. And you know, what percentage of them are likely to be complete? And Rand, who I know you've done a different interview with, uses a great phrase for this. Task completion. Right. I have a hundred people come to my site. How many are going to complete their task? Not just the one indicated by the immediate search phrase, which you won't necessarily know from Google. You only know they landed on this page from Google, but You'll have some inkling that it related to oil filters on our oil filter page. What percentage of those people are going to complete their entire task that related to that surprise? Not just the immediate thing, the whole task. And you need to start thinking about that. And even if you didn't have search engines in your mind, this would be a very smart way for you to think, right? So let's say it was all direct referral traffic. And the only way you ever get anyone to your website was through a phone calling campaign and you called thousands of people and got some people who show up to your website after telling them about your oil filters page, how many of them are going to be happy? This is a problem you need to solve, Google or no Google, but now you need to know that Google is measuring it.
1: Right. That's very well put. Okay, there are a couple of actions that really come through here for the listeners based on my conversation with Rand earlier and my conversation with you today. When creating content, you really need to think about specifically who you're creating it for, ideally have someone specific in mind. And secondly, think of how they will be able to use the content to improve their situation and so much so that they will want to share it with somebody else. The big takeaway I got from that conversation, and I'm getting from this one too, is don't try and just think in terms of SEO. Don't try and figure out SEO and try and become some kind of an SEO genius. Just try and create content that is very useful to your readers or your listeners or your viewers, whatever kind of content you're doing. And try and preempt what problem they're trying to solve and try and go beyond, above and beyond. So try and make it, make it as useful as possible, and then you naturally fit into the Google intent, which is to create a good quality search experience because if the information that you're providing is good quality, it adds to that good quality search experience, and you're going to only be liked by Google more as a result of that.
0: No, absolutely. And, in fact, what you want to do is you want to take that concept and you want to make that your art form. Okay. Right you want to invest in this and you know how could you invest in it you could talk to people who've been customers mm-hmm. uh, you could try a survey on your site you could go out to depending on the nature of your business industry conferences or the local you know business meetups in your area and go out and talk to people mm-hmm. uh, get people in to look at your website and comment on what they think people with related needs and, and, and collect input. You need to make this an art form for yourself or a science, or both, because that's what it's all about. Right. The better you do with that, the better you're going to do with the other things. And guess what happens when you do that really well? More people will share your site in social media. Yep. More people will link to your site. Good old-fashioned SEO signal there. You will have put content on your pages, which Google finds and recognizes being a better answer And competing websites that haven't gone through that effort. We, at the end of the day, we have to realize that what we're talking about is hard work, right? Yes. But the people who do the hard work the right way, right, are going to win. And sadly, I can't promise you that just because you do hard work, you win. You have to do hard work the right way and you have to learn what the right way is. And it's that combination of things, you know, separates the people who are very, very successful and those who who aren't so
1: much. So what we're saying is that the hard work is just a prerequisite. It's not something that is optional. The days of black hat, you know, buying links or exchanging links, those are gone, and, you know, Google's way too smart for that now, and they're only getting smarter every single day. So at the end of the day, what I'm hearing from what you're saying is, SEO is not just about sitting there and trying to figure out what Google is looking for. Just try and be as useful as you can. And it can start with a conversation completely away from your computer even. Don't underestimate the power of physically going out there, talking to people and saying, what challenges are you facing in your business? What is the problem that I can solve for you with my information? And just try and be useful SEO, to some extent, will take care of itself. You may not end up on page one, on day one, but being useful is what you have to do regardless of whether or not you creating the most awesome SEO-compatible content.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So the way I like to think about it is, if you think about it, your website as a product, yep. you got to create an awesome product. That's the way it's always been in the world, you know, product development. And then you have to market it effectively. Yes. Okay. And that's where the old fashioned stuff uh, from an SEO perspective of link building might come in and does come into play. And social media also comes into play. The social media part, it isn't like getting a link from your Twitter, if someone's Twitter account or a link from a Google Plus account or Facebook is seen directly as a ranking factor. But if people are engaging with your site through social media, then that is a positive in the sense that you get more visitors from your site from sources other than Google, Mm -hmm. and you can create better engagement over time. And if people link to your site okay, from relevant places, you may get relevant traffic. The links do still act as powerful endorsement signals, but it matters how relevant they are to your business and the authority of the people doing it. Right. So you need to have a very elitist frame of mind. And the way I like to think about it is, when I advise people, you know, I'll start by asking, what are the top tier sites in your entire space? And they'll, t- they'll tell me, and I'll say, you belong there. And I'll say, well, well, wait a minute, we can never get there. Let's not talk about whether you can or can't get there. Of course you can get there. All that matters is the path. Right. Well, today, you might not be able to get an article published about you in some high-end location. Mm-hmm. But you probably can get a couple of tiers down from that from a very credible site. Yep. Work on building your reputation there. And then once you've got there, then take a step up from there and work your way up the process. And it, it may take you two years. may take you three years to get there. Mm-hmm. But you have to have the mindset that that's where you belong. Right. Now, if you're really local business, the story is a little different, right? I'll go back to my local pizza shop. I'm not going to try to get, you know, major coverage in the New York Times.
1: Mm-hmm. It's probably not even relevant anyway for you, you right. as a local business.
0: It doesn't, so, I mean, to me, the, the the pinnacle might be, you know, the the local newspaper around here. Right. Since I'm near Boston, Massachusetts, it might be the Boston Globe, yep. which is a huge newspaper, you know, nationally recognized here in the United States. Uh, and so that might be the, the pinnacle for me. And I might not be able to get there for two or three years, and I might have to work that process. But, you know, even as I take those steps along the way, I'm building credibility value, not only for Google, but for users who see me in these other places, for my website, working my way up the ladder. And they keep going up and up and up until they finally get to that pinnacle website. Mm -hmm. It's not a question about whether you belong there. It's only a question about when you're going to get there.
1: That's excellent. Okay. Let's take a step back. And for the listeners, if you own a business, you're probably wondering, how do I know if my site is mobile responsive? So, Eric, you've explained everything so beautifully. I have an idea about how it is, but I'd, I'd love to hear your take on How a person can quickly determine whether or not their site is mobile responsive? Because a lot of business owners don't even know that their site is not mobile responsive.
0: Well, the thing you want to do is Google has a tool called the mobile-friendly tool. Just type that into Google, mobile-friendly tool. and It will almost certainly come up for you. Uh, You can go to this tool, and then you can enter one of the URLs from your website, Mm -hmm. the form they have there, and you click Submit. And it will tell you. It takes about 15 seconds. Okay. It checks a bunch of things on the page. But a very important tip, you want to check each different type of page on your site. So you can check your home page, and that might be uh, mobile-friendly, but then you want to check some of the other pages on your site. So let's say you have an e-commerce section of your site. You want to check some pages from there. Right. You want to check some pages from there. So you want to do take the trouble to try a, a variety of them. So that's one way to do it. Another way you can do it is go to your smartphone and uh, search on something specific to that page. And I'm going to give you a slightly complicated description of this. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have a web page on your blog and you can pick a a full sentence out of the blog. And you take that and you put it in a Google search form with double quote characters around it. Mm -hmm. And then you add to that site colon, so S-I-T-E colon, and then your domain. Yep. And then Google will hopefully return that page if it has it in their index. It will return that page. And right there it will tell you if that particular page is mobile-friendly. Right. So that's one way to do it. And yet another way to do it is just if you uh, weren't checking a specific page, go to your smartphone device. It has to be on your smartphone. i got to emphasize that go site colon and then just your domain and then see how many of the URLs it lists it says are mobile-friendly. It'll actually tell you that in the smartphone results.
1: Oh. It won't
0: do that in your desktop results. Although the mobile-friendly tool I started with, that works with desktop, smartphone, doesn't matter. Okay, so it depends on where you're doing it from. So there were three different ways to do it.
1: The one thing that I noticed is typically a mobile-friendly site, the font looks a lot easier to read. This is probably a much more a layperson's viewpoint. But on, on the menu, for example, on your Mac or your computer, whatever it is, you often people have menu items across the top of their screen. But on a mobile-friendly device, you tend to see these three dashes, and the menu is like a drop-down. So These are indicators to me that the site is mobile responsive, it's mobile friendly, whereas if it's not mobile friendly, the font often is very tiny, the menu items appear across the top of your phone, you can barely read them. It's just a much more difficult user experience. But it's not as conclusive a way of working it out as you just described.
0: Yeah, but let's actually talk about what the key things. That's a good start. Typically, instead of having a traditional menu, there's just three lines, which is the indication click or tap here. Yeah. And you'll get the full menu. So that's one thing that you'll see. Some other things, your links need to be spaced far enough apart that a finger can yes. touch them. Yes. All right which fingers are much fatter than mouse pointers,
1: right? I have noticed this.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Horizontal scroll bars. If you have to scroll horizontally, that's a negative.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: You don't want to have that in your experience. That's a pain. Yes, it is. Font size. You already said that. So that's really good. It has to be readable without having to expand the screen. So that's another big thing. Performance. Google looks at performance as being a big issue. So if the page takes a long time to load on a mobile device, that's not good. But one more thing that I'm going to mention, which is less intuitive to some degree than the things we already talked about, is Google will not consider your page mobile friendly unless you allow them to crawl your JavaScript and CSS for your web pages.
1: Right. How do you do that? How do you make sure they can do
0: it? Well, you just don't block them in your robots.txt. So. If you don't know what robots.txt is and you had somebody develop the site for you, then you need to go ask them and make sure that they haven't blocked crawling of CSS files and JavaScript files. Okay. It's very important to do because you could do all the rest of it and you're blocking those two things and Google will not give you that mobile-friendly designation. But the short explanation as to why is Google needs to have that information to validate things like do you have horizontal scroll bars or, you know, size of fonts and things like that. They can't do that without reading those files. Got it. So that's why that's important.
1: Okay, cool. Okay, so these are some great action items actually that business people can take away from this conversation, you know, four quick ways of figuring out whether your site is mobile responsive. So thank you for that, Eric. Let's talk a bit about, the books that have had the biggest impact on you, and why?
0: Yeah, interesting uh, question. The first answer was, "Yo" know, had a big impact on me because the effort of writing it was so great that it's a, a little bit expensive in terms of my family relationships. So if you're thinking about writing a book out there, you know... Just
1: Make sure you're single. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a non-technical book that I'm going to share. Okay. Uh, it's a book by Ayn Rand. Mm-hmm. Ayn Rand is the name. It's called Atlas Shrugged. Okay. And the reason why I mention that as a book is it's a story about a society that decided there was no benefit to be garnered by working harder and that everything would get split equally among everybody. The hero is a guy called John Galt. And uh, it's a very controversial book in its own way because the concepts could be really grossly misapplied. But the message of the of the book is that if people are going to go invest more time and create more and create more for others, then you should give them some incentive for doing that. You know, for me, because I'm an entrepreneurial type and I love being entrepreneurial. Yeah, you know, that was kind of a really telling uh, book for me in in early years. As I said, the concept can be grossly misapplied.
1: Yeah,
0: and in a capitalist society. It often is grossly misapplied. Yes. Because I don't think it means that just because you're a really good stockbroker, you should make $10 million a year because uh, you're not actually creating value there. Exactly. Like exactly. Right. And that's part of what made an impression to me is sort of that juxtaposition between those two things. So that's uh, one thing. And I'm looking at my bookshelf to steal uh, other clues for, you know, things. Another book's really good, Made to Stick. Oh, yes. That's Chip and Dan He.
1: Yep. Fantastic book.
0: Yeah, a good story about uh, why some ideas survive and others die. And there's some real subtleties to that. It's not so simple, right? Because you may have a great idea. It could be the wrong time. Mm -hmm. It could be just something lacking in how you promote it. I could give an example. Uh, Back before the IBM PC, People aren't used to calling them IBM PCs, but when we're talking now, we're talking 80s sometime, yep. came out. It was decidedly a second-class personal computer. There were far superior machines on the market. IBM just marketed it better. They had the marketing machine, and they made it happen. So remember what I said earlier, create a fantastic website, create it yes. like a product, and then market it effectively? Yes. Do you have to do both? Right. Right. That's a very important, you know, lesson. So oh, there's a few books for you.
1: Yeah, thank you. And that applies to businesses as well. A lot of small business owners work their tails off, and that is a prerequisite. That's important. But remember to focus on marketing your business effectively and getting the information about your business to the right people because both are essential and they both feed off each other yes okay now what's the best way for a listener to find out more about you eric and your business
0: Uh, our website is stonetemple.com an https by the way so we are a secure website okay we implemented that last fall uh the stone temple blog stonetemple.com slash blog which is called the digital marketing excellence blog is where we publish all our studies and hopefully groundbreaking uh, information in them as well as uh The interviews with people have one coming up really soon with Gary okay, on HTTPS as a ranking factor uh, and actually addressing many of the questions that people have about HTTPS or not they should uh, implement it in Google's point of view of that. So that's coming very soon.
1: Well, when it's released, if you send me a link, I'll put it in the show notes of this podcast so people can access it through there. Okay, well, thank you very much for being on the show, Eric, and I I really appreciate your time. I would love to have you back on the show sometime. And that brings us to the end of our interview. Thanks for being here.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. I would be delighted to come back.
1: Okay, so there you have it, some fantastic information from Eric there. If you have any questions about how to apply any of these concepts or principles to your business, book a consulting session with me on ProductiveInsights.com forward slash H-I-R-E. Now, there are some other podcast episodes that I think would be very relevant to this one. You might want to check out episode number six with Chris Garrett from Copyblogger, where we talk a lot about content. Episode 23, which is a tutorial on how to create great quality content. Episode 29 with David Jennings on SEO and how to integrate it with your content strategy. And episode number 38 with Rand Fishkin from Moz.com on how to create great SEO-friendly content and key trends in search today. And of course, I'll add links to all these in the show notes. Please stop by and leave a review on iTunes and share this with your friends. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this
0: episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comment section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today?